0: What is up, all of my little babies? It is yours truly, Lala Kent. This is the Give Them Lala podcast. You just landed from outer space and thought, where am I? What am I listening to? <laughs> Let's give them Lala, obviously. What's up, Jez? How you doing, Bill?
1: I'm good, Lala. How are you today? I'm I'm.
0: A fucking vibe today.
1: I can tell you're glowing. Tell us why. Give me the secret. Wait, really? Am yeah, I? Yeah, you actually are.
0: Okay, so I did an entire just give them Lala skin routine last night. Ooh. Usually with my skincare routine, even with my cake up, like, you know, I mix, I match, I switch it up sometimes. Last night it was strictly and only give them Lala skin. From the face wash to the moisturizer, I did my mask Ooh, okay. Obviously, stay calm. Am I looking calm? You're looking calm and sounding calm. Well, I love that. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so that's why you're glowing. That's why I'm glowing, which leads me to my next very exciting news. I want to give my podcast listeners 20% off of Give Them Lala. So if you go to GiveThemLala.com and use discount code PODCAST, 20 this is exclusive for my podcast listeners you're welcome 20 percent off fill up your cart don't mess up don't mess up don't mess up the next thing let's talk about the tour <gasps> the if you tour. haven't i know this is all things give them lala The Give Them La La brand new tour is coming up. If you haven't purchased your tickets, go to GiveThemLive.com. We're kicking off the tour in Irvine. Then we're going to Fort Lauderdale, Clearwater, Orlando, Hotlanta, Nashville, New Orleans, Houston, Austin. And we will wrap it up in Dallas, Texas. So exciting. Should I wear cowboy boots when I'm in Texas for Houston, Austin, Dallas? I feel like I should. You should. And
1: honestly, probably for Nashville as well.
0: Oh, that's right. Mm Because they're kind of hillbilly bone down (laughs) deep inside. No matter where you're from,
1: you just can't hide.
0: (laughs) Right? That's like the center of country music. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you what I want to do in Nashville? Yes, please. Is Carrie Underwood from Nashville? She is. Okay. So at the end of every city, Mm -hmm. I want to play like a song by an artist that's from that city. Okay. But have it be, like, super badass. So I want to play Carrie Underwood's... um I my Before he <laughs> cheats.
1: It's <laughs> a good one. At the very end, like a little sing-along. I feel like that would be fun, right? I love that. At the end, or do you walk out to it?
0: Ooh, Jessica, these are all things that we're going to have to keep a secret. So oh, yeah. that my people show up and are super surprised. Love that. I love that, too. So, again... Get your your beauty goods at givethemlala.com. Use podcast 20 for 20% off and go to give them live to get your tour tickets so that I can play with you. Do we have voicemails? We do. Let's do voicemails before we have my epic guest on. We have Tina Swithin on the podcast today. She is super inspirational and she is an expert on narcissism. And I have gotten so many DMs about how people are like, please have someone on to talk about narcissism because it is everywhere right now and no one talks about it. So we're going to talk about it. Yeah. So after we do the voicemails, we'll take a short break and then we'll have Tina on. Hey, Lala, this is Ray. I'm from Texas. I have a best friend who is a alcoholic in recovery. She's almost two years sober and my brother is currently in rehab. And I was just wondering what is some of the best ways that I can support them in their journey into being sober. Thank you so much. I love you. Ray, I love this question. Congratulations to your friend who has two years. That's incredible. And your brother, who's being proactive and getting help, I'm sending him all of my love and positive vibes and prayers. Um, I would say that supporting them would be, first of all, not taking them anywhere that they're triggered to drink. Mm -hmm. Don't keep alcohol in your house or if you're a drinker, if they come over put it away. You just don't want them to feel like it's there's the bottle and it's talking to me and it is like I'm feeding for it. Mm-hmm. You know, my mouth starts watering. Um, And also, I think it's a tremendous support. I don't know if your friend is in the program or if your brother will be in a program. I'm a firm believer of the program. If they are, I would say offer to go to an open meeting. An open meeting is where you can take someone with you who may or may not be sober and just be that support of someone who when they are with you it's not someone who they went and drank, or were drinking with
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's really hard to be a support to someone who is an alcoholic it really is because you you feel like you're walking on eggshells I've watched it with people around me they're like do you care if I drink right now and I would say my big big biggest thing Ask them, how can I support you in this moment? I love that. Communication. Communication. They may say, I just want you to proceed as usual. I don't want to be like this weirdo where it's like you feel like you have to hide your bottles, you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: They may not want you to do that. So ask them. I hope that this was helpful. Was this helpful to you, Jess?
1: It was helpful because I actually have alcoholics in my family who are out alcoholics who are, you know, in recovery and not my immediate family, my bigger circle family. And that's really helpful. I've never gone to an open meeting and I've actually never gone to Al-Anon. That's what it's called. Correct? Yes. Is that how do you feel that's been helpful for people in your life if they've gone or, you know,
0: I have never been to an Al-Anon meeting and Mm -hmm. I don't have anyone in my circle that's been to an Al-Anon meeting, Mm -hmm. but I have friends that have been and they say that it's extremely helpful because you're placing yourself in a room full of people who understand Mm. you know you could be from completely different backgrounds places whatever it may be and you're there for one purpose and one purpose only and it's the same as everyone else in the room yeah that makes you feel like you have a bond with people
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and I'm a firm believer of if you're recovering from drugs or alcohol or you have been affected by someone who's an addict, get in a room. Mm -hmm. Don't let them scare you because it doesn't look like it looks on TV, Like you actually feel leaving. You leave feeling amazing.
1: Yeah, because it does look scary on TV. It looks very serious and dark and I always picture it taking place in a church and I'm like, well, it's
0: and it takes there are some that take place at a park, you know, like, yeah, it's there are donuts, which is awesome. OK, I'm there. Love the donuts. And <laughs> <There are. laughs> like I love that part. But no, there's like I always get a good chuckle out of the meetings, mm. you know, yeah. because it's just people telling their stories who have come out on top. And you're like, oh, my gosh, the fact that we're talking about such a serious topic, but we're remembering it and we can like get a laugh out of it. Yeah, because we've come so far. Get in the rooms get in the rooms that's great and okay. by the way you can do it on zoom now too you don't even have to be physically in the room that's great yeah i've been zooming i've been zooming for quite You've some time
1: zooming. we love it <laughs> yes. good zoom
0: it's funny because you look at all the squares and everyone's like in their bathrobes.
1: <laughs> we're like
0: well this is such a vibe
1: <laughs> so you fit in perfectly with your gray iconic bathrobe. we love that okay next voicemail Hi, Lala.
0: This is Anna, and I wanted to give you a huge thank you for having on Bobby Brink and shedding light on animal issues. Plus, your support and concern for animal welfare says so much about you, and I really appreciate that. And a question I have for you is, what is something or different things that you're really looking forward to doing with Ocean when she's older? I think every stage is fun. Every age is fun. It's all wonderful. And it is an honor to be a parent. So I'm so happy that you have her. And I love hearing about her. So thank you and take care. Bye, Lala. Anna, thank you so much for calling in. I'm thrilled that you enjoyed the Bobby Brink podcast. That was one that I was super excited for because I don't think that animals in captivity is spoken about nearly enough mm-hmm. it's only really a well-known thing if you're crazy about like freeing the orcas let the big cats go all of the above mm-hmm. with ocean i will definitely be taking her when she can walk to uh empty the tanks protests oh. because before covid i used to do that all the time and i was this like i would literally have like head to toe free the orcas mm-hmm. gear and i would <laughs> walk on the santa monica pier and be like we wouldn't keep your kids in bathtubs. Why would you keep the orcas in a tank? Would you really? When, like, yes. In person, were there, and there were in other person, people? person, on the Santa Monica Pier, handing out flyers. One guy threw his to the ground, and that's the guy when I started. Because I was like, how would you feel if I kept you in a bathtub for your entire life? Yeah. That's what they do to these orcas. That's what they do to these whales, you yeah. know? Yeah. Dolphins, though. I picked it up and I handed it and I said, if you don't want it, throw it away behind my back, <laughs> you know, don't do it right in front of me, but sh- I will definitely be taking her to do all of that stuff. You know, oh,
1: that's sweet.
0: I'll take her to a fuck world protest.
1: No, I love that you and your mom bond over that, too. That's a great thing. To well, see. Lisa works for the Humane
0: Society, so she's yeah. like all about being a part of the greatness that is. The well-being of animals. Yeah. Um. But the one thing that I'm super... So I have to share this about Ocean. Ocean has six teeth now. Okay? And she's a biter. <laughs> she's a biter. <laughs> I don't know how to stop her from doing it. She's only nine months. And I looked at my arm the other day. I had her in my lap and I was trying to file her nails down because... Anyone who has babies, Jessica, I'm telling you, you Mm -hmm. have to do it like every other day because the corners grow and she rubs her eyes so she'll have like a little nick in the corner of her eye and that's what I know. I need to find the culprit of this. (laughs) So I file her nails and she's biting my arm. I have bite marks up and down my arm and I don't know how to stop it. So if anybody knows how to stop a 10-month-old mo- almost from biting. Please call into 866 Lala Pod. I need to know. I'm dying to hear this. So she's a biter right now. But when she's able, I really want to put her into co-ed soccer because there's something about the little shin pads that make <laughs> me so happy.
1: Running around and then kicking into the wrong goal.
0: That <laughs> yes. is so cute. That's what I'm looking forward to the most is putting her in sports
1: that is gonna be really cute
0: yes and going to practice yeah. and setting out my fold-out chair oh my god and like it's a my day chair, to do treats <gasps> soccer mom yes i can't wait and every saturday is game oh my day god. i'll get at her level and be like you got this babe <laughs> you've got this
1: <laughs> i may even be the coach if they'd let me oh my that would be so iconic. fun that would be so cool did you play soccer I played everything. He I did. don't
0: know if my mom was like just trying to get me out of the house, <laughs> but I literally never had five minutes. It was like, "Really? get your tennis racket and then make sure you have your T-ball stuff. And do you have your stuff for dance? And then after that, we're <laughs> headed out to play some more volleyball. <laughs> and I didn't have five minutes.
1: Oh, man. It but was exhausting. You tried it all. And so at least your mom could say, well... She's not destined to be in the Olympics because we tried it and it didn't work out. We tried everything. And
0: can I tell you what I love about my mom is there were things like piano. I wanted to do piano. I told my dad I wanted a baby grand. He got it for me. Mm -hmm. So sweet. And I told my mom I hated piano. And she said, you committed to it. Mm -hmm. So you will continue to do it. And she gave me a date. We looked at the calendar and she said, if you don't like it at this time, what was it? Like a year? (laughs) I think I had to do it for a whole year. If you don't like it at this time next year, then you can stop. And she made me go. And did that time hit the next year? And you were like, great. Can, and I, I can stop. I got the fuck out. <laughs> and now I watch Alicia Keys. And I'm like, why did I not keep doing it I know, as if I was ever going to be Alicia Keys? It could have been. No, that's God given.
1: Mm. You can't
0: you can't learn that shit, Jess.
1: You could. Can you? I don't know. No, I don't know either.
0: Yeah. Like, you can't just, like, learn to be Celine Dion. Like, God gave that to you. You're Celine Dion. That's true. Yes.
1: All right. Last voicemail. Hey, Lala. This is Erica calling from Chicago, Illinois. I absolutely love the podcast, love listening to you, and love how absolutely badass you have become after everything that's kind of going on in your life. But anyway, I wanted to quickly
0: ask... When are you going to have the merch come out? I'm so excited to see what else you come out with.
2: I didn't get a chance to get a brand new sweatshirt since they were sold out.
0: So I would absolutely love if you came out with new merch. Thank you. Can't wait to listen to next week's podcast. Erica, I am so glad that you like the merch. The merch is something I'm proud of. I think it's super cute. I was obsessed with the fact that everyone loved the brand new merch. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're coming out with it again. Like, this was like a little test run. Let's see how it does. I'm all about, let's see how it does. Do people fuck with it? People fucks with it. Yeah. So we're coming out with more brand new hoodies, different colors. I think people liked the light pink, so we'll come back with that too. And then I have a really amazing merch coming out yeah. that will also be available on tour. Woohoo! It's so good, guys. It's, it's so, so good. good. I know. The merch is everything. So thank you so much for asking about the merch, Erica. I'm so happy you like it. We are going to cut to a short break. And, we wing, and when we come back, we have Tina Swithin. We're all so busy. And I know how hard it can be to find some time to work out. It's so easy for me to get completely derailed when it comes to my fitness plan. And if you struggle with the same thing and really want to get your fitness back on track, then Peloton is a great solution. Peloton has thousands of classes to get you moving no matter what level you're at. They've got beginner and advanced rides, feel-good live DJ rides, artist theme rides. There is literally something for everyone. And if staying motivated is your biggest challenge, Peloton's got your back there too. They'll show you the basics, help you take the guesswork out of your workout, and then encourage you to build from there. You can also watch your favorite TV shows and live sporting events while you ride, so you never miss a thing. Wherever you're starting, get moving with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. That's onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. If you like saving money, and let's face it, who doesn't, then you have to get Rakuten. We love Rakuten in my house and the Rakuten app. I mean, seriously, Rakuten shoppers get it all when it comes to shopping. The hottest brands, the best deals, and the most savings, which to me is the best part. With Rakuten, you get cash back at stores you love, which is probably why I bought so many things for myself when I was trying to do birthday shopping for Ocean. Because it's hard not to throw a couple of things in the car for myself at Bloomingdale's. And then, with all the money that I saved, I went straight to Fenty Beauty. But you can get cash back at stores like Dyson and Petco. You'll also never miss out on promo codes and coupons because Rakuten gives you all the best ones. You can even stack cash back on top of sales, credit card points, and other loyalty programs. And it couldn't be easier. Just join Rakuten for free, then use the website or the app to shop your favorite stores and watch your cash back add up. So before you buy another thing, join Rakuten because Rakuten shoppers always get the most bang for their buck. Get started at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. All right, you guys, we are back. And this is a podcast episode and guest that so many of you have been begging for. And I'm so excited that it's finally happening. We have Tina Swithin, and she is an expert on narcissism. So, Tina, welcome to the Give Them Wala podcast. Thank you. I'm so
2: excited to be here because I've followed a little bit of, you know, the, it's become such a topic in today's world. You know, sometimes it's overused and misused, but I'm overall so thankful that this topic has had such a presence because it's so important that we're talking about it that we're educating the next generation on it because I surely wasn't, you know, uh, aware of the red flags and all of those things, which is
0: how I ended up in this situation. But here we are, and I'm excited. I'm so excited as well. So I know a bit about your background and how you became an expert on narcissism. And would you say that this is something that you became passionate about and warning people after your story? how What happened in your life where you realized you were with a narcissist, knew you had to get out, walk us down that road with you?
2: I met a person back in 2000. I was actually 26 years old. Now what I see it to be as love bombing. Back then, I just thought, wow, I am finally in an adult relationship With a man who knows how to treat someone. And for me, it wasn't about the material things. It wasn't about the money. It was very much, you know, he seemed to care, you know, to an extreme amount, something I had never experienced before. And, you know, hanging on my every word and wanting to know everything about me. And I felt like. You know, I was up on a pedestal and that someone, um, you know, finally accepted me and was loving me for who I am. And it was a whirlwind romance. Um, You know, if I mentioned, you know, I, I would love to go to Seattle. The next day, I would have plane tickets on my pillow to go to Seattle. Um, You know, if I happened to walk by a store and see a pair of shoes and comment on them, they would be wrapped, you know, and presented to me the next day. It was overwhelming. Now, I understand what love bombing is. That was the goal. Your head is spinning. You can't, you know, you're so, the, the attention is so much. That you truly can't think, um, and that's their goal. <laughs> so, yeah, I found I found myself in this whirlwind romance that moved so fast.
0: I relate to I your story. I feel like you're actually telling mine, <laughs> and with people who have, you know, I've shared a little bit about my experience with my relationship and how it came to be and how it ended, and. There are so many women who have had the exact same thing. And I think that's why, you know, they've been begging for certain guests on the podcast. So at what point in time you did you have children with this person? So we did. We
2: were married in a year and a half and, and, you know, in line with the whirlwind romance, um, he whisked me away to Maui and proposed to me while we were there and then the next line after the proposal was, "Let's just get married while we're here and not tell tell anybody." So we got married three days later in Maui, and you know it, it's this—you're caught up in this. You know, it's hard to explain to people. You know, this this love bombing. This um, you feel it's authentic. You believe it's real but it's all a game to the other party. And that's hard to come to grips with that, you know, you're falling in love with the facade and hindsight on that is 2020. So we got married in Maui in 2001. And then you slowly, this shift starts happening, you know, in the beginning, the good is up here. And, you know, then you start seeing little things creep in and what I can now see as red flags. But when you're in it, you're kind of, I remember thinking to myself, um, no one's perfect and we all have our things and you, so those, that's where the excuses start and you go, you know, if I'm expecting perfection, I'm being unrealistic. You know, we all bring our baggage in and you, excuse away those little things that start creeping in and for most people who have been targeted by a narcissist they go after people who are the exact opposite of themselves who exude positivity and confidence and all of those you know the the positive traits honesty compassion empathy and so You know, when those little things creep in, all of those traits that we as targets bring into that equation work in their favor. So you excuse those things. And as time goes on, those things start to build a little bit. But by the time you recognize that there's a serious problem, you know, you're in such a deep fog because it's confusing. You know, when the big red flags present themselves, You go back to, but he was such an amazing person and he said these things and he did these things and we're projecting our own authentic, positive qualities onto someone who's not deserving of those things. So that's another area where we're excusing bad behavior and going, but at his core, I know who he is. He's all those things he sold me on in the beginning. And then by the time the bad, you know, outweighs the good and that pendulum shifts, you're so deep into it. And in this state of confusion that, you know, you start thinking, am I the problem? And, and mm. that's part of the psychological manipulating and gaslighting that takes place over time. It's insidious, it, it creeps in, and you don't even recognize what it is because, you know, we've never been taught any of these things. We're only now starting to talk about narcissistic abuse and psychological abuse and emotional manipulation. You know, I I can think back to my marriage, 2008, I found myself in a really dark place in my marriage because the lies had presented themselves to the point where I couldn't deny them. Um, I found out he had ran us up over a million dollars in debt. Um, I can't even to this day grasp that dollar amount when it comes to debt. (laughs) I mean, I I don't like having a a credit card with $5,000, you know, owing to somebody. So to find out that I don't even know who I married, who I fell in love with, that I fell in love with a facade, a con artist, Mm. But by the time reality truly hit me in the face and I couldn't deny it or excuse it anymore, I had two little girls that were under the age of 2 and 4. I mean, they were babies and um and and over time the the uneven playing field and the dynamic and I love what you talk about about, you know, you all you had a plan B. You you know, financially had secured yourselves. I, that's one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was completely turning over the financial situation to my husband. So by the time, you know, 2008 came and I just, I truly thought it was me. Like I'm going to go to counseling I'm going to figure out what, what I, what I'm doing, you know, what's wrong.
0: Was that his idea for you to go see a therapist?
2: I had been begging for us to go to couples therapy forever. Okay. And he would constantly tell me, these are my issues. You know, your mom mm. was bipolar. Your, you know, you have a history of mental illness in your family, um, you know, to him He knew that my biggest button was my mom and bipolar. She committed suicide and um, he, he knew, you know, they know where your jugular is emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so if I cried over our dog dying, he would say, you're bipolar, you know, you should look into this. So over time I, and he knew that was my greatest fear was turning out like my mom and, and he knew how to use that in a way to destroy me. So by the time I ended up on a therapist couch, it was after begging him for a long time to go to therapy with me and him refusing. And I still remember calling around randomly, just trying to find a therapist And this lady actually answered the phone and said, I had a cancellation today, this afternoon. If you want to come in today, let's talk. And I went in there and I just remember being so distraught and her, she heard me. I emotionally vomited in this woman's office and, and basically she said to me, you're not the problem, and I I can't diagnose this person. I don't know him, but I want you to read something. And she walked across the room, brought back the DSM five, and basically had me read the excerpt on narcissistic personality disorder. Wow, shook. the fact
0: that she that it shook because what I've read, and I don't know if this is correct, but there are not many therapists. I believe it was around five percent of therapists are actually familiar and well-versed in narcissism.
2: Right. So their training, and I've talked to a lot of psychologists about this, they skim right past personality disorders. I mean, they read the textbook definition of what it means. But in my experience, unless a therapist has personally walked this path, either with a narcissistic parent or a partner or a family member, I don't think they can truly get, you know, the intricacies that are in play in these situations. So now I understand that I found the rare unicorn (laughs) of the therapy world. And and sure enough, it was because this lady had personally experienced it in her life. But but here's the thing, when she told me that, and I, I used to be a fixer. And so when she told me, this is what you're dealing with, I actually got excited. I was like, oh, my God, we have a label. We have a title. What are we going to do? How do we fix him?
0: Right. Like you you thought it was a project.
2: <laughs> right. And so now I can look back and go, oh, you sweet little thing. Like, <laughs> I just want to go back in time and hug myself and go, yeah. you know, I actually went home to him that night and said, she thinks you're a narcissist. Like, let's fix this. And and so we looked it up together. We Googled it. And uh, back then, I mean, we're talking 2008, there was nothing out there on this topic. You know, you could find the definition of it, but no one was talking about it. There were no resources. And so I still remember when he read the descriptor and he goes, well, you know, that sounds like my dad, and, but that doesn't sound like me. But even still back then in my rose colored glasses, optimistic mind, I was like, okay, we are making progress because he and his dad right. are the same person. So if he is recognized this in his dad, we are on the right track. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And is, is narcissism something that can be cured? No, zero cure there. And, and I'll tell you. With the healing that I've done and now that my kids are safe, I have compassion. I do because I can't imagine, you know, having any type of diagnosis where someone tells me there's literally nothing we can do for you you know, there's Mm -hmm. no, and I want to preface, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not qualified to diagnose anybody. Obviously much of this is my own research over the past decade and learned experience, but you know, you, a therapist, all they can do with a narcissist is teach them essentially how to act so they're actors in the world. They're going out there and they're role-playing. You know, I've talked to narcissists who say, "I if I'm going to a wedding, I'll watch a wedding scene on TV to study how people act at weddings. Um, so I know, or at funerals, like what is the appropriate? Because they truly aren't capable of connecting to that level to where it just comes naturally to them. They truly do, you know, study and it's true of sociopaths. And I I think with the narcissist, the, the higher they are on the scale of narcissism, the more that applies to where they truly, they are actors. They're walking through life, playing everybody around them. It's like a big chess game to them.
0: Like I said, I've done some research. Obviously you're the expert in this between the two of us and I'm sure a lot of others. But I've been following this doctor on social media and she describes narcissists as using people like you and I as an energy source. And they basically morph into whoever you are to get what they need. And they have, they don't have that part of them where they can have empathy or sympathy. It's always, what can you do for me? And they will stop at nothing to make sure that they are never seen for who they truly are.
2: Right. And they become, you know, I know looking back, you know, I was very, you know, I was the social one. He was very socially awkward. And so he gravitated towards people, me or other, you know, I, I can't say friends because any of his friends or their friends are very superficial. It's very surface level. It is. What can you do for me? And and they have the ability to walk into a crowd at a dinner party or whatnot. And they know who to let know they're going to pick up the tab and pay for everybody. You know, it's who's going to advance them or tell everybody or they can impress. I mean, it's, from a psychological standpoint, it's absolutely fascinating to watch and to study. But when it's your life, there's nothing fascinating about it.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, you said something that I relate to when you started talking about your story. It's it's a whirlwind. And before you know it, you're so deep into it. And do you think once you had... Kids is when you started seeing things a little bit differently. Where you, I I feel like children really open our eyes as mothers. There's just something that happens to us where we're just hypersensitive to what's going on in the world and what's going on in our home. Did that happen to you?
2: Absolutely. My
0: mine was obsessed with food and body image
2: and, you know, buying me books on the perfect abs two weeks after I had had a C-section and given birth, (laughs) you know, so, so when all of those things that I had lived and hurt me so deeply started affecting my daughters, like when he would say, are you going to really let her eat fettuccine? And she was four, um, that's where the mama bear in me went, oh no, you're not, you know, when... It's one thing if I'm in the fog and I am experiencing this psychological abuse and emotional abuse, but you mess with my little girls and you have no idea the claws are out. And um, those were my wake up calls. Was you know when I and when I realized that you know for one he was gone all the time. So I was I considered my nanny as my co-parent. <laughs> you know, Not if really. I had Not an really. appointment, if I had to go anywhere, I called my nanny. I would have he would have been so far down on my list of resources during my marriage for one because I didn't trust that he could be present with them. He was going to be on yeah. the phone, he was going to be on the computer, he was going to be trying to run on the treadmill, you know, while my 2-year-old's choking. <laughs> so right. so it was you know, during my marriage, I was able to shelter my daughters from so much, but as they got older and more aware, when I started realizing that they were going to be viewing how he spoke to me, what he did to me and, and thinking that that was normal and that I right. was creating a foundation for my little girls to grow, go up into the world and, feel that this was normal. And this is what marriage was about. That's where it really hit me hard. And, you know, after I heard those words from my therapist, you know, that he was likely a narcissist, or she even said possibly a sociopath.
0: I've heard they go from from therapists, like I said, the small percentage that are very well versed on this topic. They have said narcissism and sociopaths go hand in hand. So
2: not all narcissists are sociopaths, but all sociopaths are narcissists. Are
0: narcissists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank yeah. you for clarifying that.
2: It's it's antisocial personality disorder. They're all in the okay. same clump of cluster B disorders. So it's histrionic, borderline narcissism, and then antisocial, which the street term for that is sociopath. And um yeah. So I, you know, now looking back, I truly do believe my ex is probably more in that antisocial category. Um, but again, not
0: qualified to diagnose him, but um, yeah. I love what you said about um, your children and how you, you, I get it. Mama bear is a real thing. My claws come out too. You can do whatever you want to me, but when it comes to ocean, I will claw your eyes out. Um <laughs> So, you, you sitting there going, I will be damned if my children grow up and think that this is how a man should be treating them. Was there ever a part of you that said, you know, I, I need to protect him because I don't want to speak on the child or my, my, the father of my child? this way like was there a part of you that was that was nervous like you wanted to create him in this light where they didn't think a certain way about him or were you so gung ho about i i can't let my child find someone like this and think that it's healthy so i navigated
2: that so carefully because you know i back then truly i i understood narcissism enough to know what i was dealing with i had no idea that once the the separation started that my children would become pawns i was mm. naive in believing that because he had zero connection with them during the marriage zero bond zero any interaction unless people were around or a camera right. was on Um, that was, and so I didn't really, I hadn't put all those pieces together. So in my naive mind, I thought when we separate, he's going to be forced to step up to the plate and be a dad. Because he's going to have to be one on one with them. I didn't understand how dangerous that actually is. Once I started educating myself on that, and I refer to it as post separation abuse. Um, I actually have a, people can look it up. It's postseparationabuse.com. It's literally the playbook of the narcissist. I didn't realize, I thought that we're going to get divorced and I'm going to get the kids like 90% of the time because I've raised them 99% of the time. So why wouldn't we just do that? I didn't think he'd want anything to do with them. I didn't realize that the playbook of the narcissist is to come for the kids because they know that's the number one way to hurt you but to maintain control. And so the children become their pawns and their weapons. And I had no idea. So once I started realizing that the family court system didn't care that he had never participated, all they cared about was that he showed up, you know, there's so many deadbeat parents in the system that the narcissist gets five gold stars in the eyes of the court many times, you know, it's not the end all be all. It takes time to chip away at that. But initially um, they were willing to give him a chance to be a parent, even though he hadn't. And that was probably the biggest gut punch for me of all. Right. And and I, you know, have never, I was raised by my dad. And so My strategy, and it wasn't strategy at the time, but it was just very much educating my daughters on what red flags are in general, whether we're talking about the three-year-old in preschool who pulled her hair (laughs) Or, you know, the six-year-old who stole a cookie out of her lunchbox. You know, it became, you know, what are boundaries? Where are, I have boundaries that are mental. I have boundaries that are emotional. I have boundaries that are physical. You know, teaching my daughters all of the lessons that I didn't learn, which allowed me to end up with this type of person and instilling in her, uh, in them, what healthy looks like. And so, if I were in a restaurant and someone was speaking very poorly to a waitress, I would bring that up in conversation with my kids and say, when someone speaks to any human like that, um, that is a huge red flag for me in that person. And so, mm-hmm. I used everyday conversations with my kids at their level, whether it was TV shows or something we heard on the radio. To teach them what healthy looks like and then to also model it myself and, and letting them know that, you know, when when you talk, mom is here, I am engaged, I am listening, I will all, your voice is the most important voice in my world. And, um, you know, there's a lot of you. It's exhausting because you're countering the damage that the narcissist is doing to them. But nice. I am a firm believer that a child only needs one healthy parent, one rock to turn out okay, even if you do have a narcissist or a sociopath on the other end. So my strategy has always been to uh, you know, teach them the lessons I wish I would have had, uh, but never directed to their dad. But I will tell you, when they started connecting the dots on their own, It was more powerful than anything I could have ever said.
0: Wow. That just gave me chills. And how old are your children now? We just went and looked at
2: colleges in San Francisco this weekend. (laughs) Oh Oh my gosh. So
0: they're, they're grown up. Yeah.
2: Almost 15 and almost 17.
0: Well, I want to take a short break and then I want to come back and pick your brain some more. So we'll be right back with Tina Swithin. When it comes to travel, we all have that happy place we're always daydreaming about. Whether it's a snow-capped mountain, white sand beaches, or even a hometown visit, we all have that happy place. I know for myself, Easton, my mom, and I think Jessica too, that place just became Hawaii. We had such an amazing time there last fall that I think it's going to become a yearly trip. The beautiful beaches, the amazing food, and the fact that we completely chill. I'm not sure it gets any better than that. Whatever your happy place is, Priceline wants to get you there for a happy price, so you never have to miss a trip. So we rented our car in Hawaii through Priceline, and if I told you how much money we saved, you would not believe me. And did you know that when you bundle and save with Priceline, you can save up to $625 when you book your flights and hotels together? Just use Priceline and simply book your entire trip in one place. They truly have deals you can't find anywhere else. So download the Priceline app today to save up to 60% off select hotels and go to your happy price with Priceline. Can I just tell you that Etsy gift mode has changed my entire life? There's no more panicking or completely stressing out when I have to find the perfect gift for someone because I'll be honest, I am the worst gift giver ever. And it's been an amazing thing when it comes to Ocean and her birthday because when someone asks me, what can I get Ocean? I can point them to gift mode on Etsy. With Gift Mode on Etsy, it's so easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the dog lover, the concert goer, the fashionista, the reality TV fan, or, in Ocean's case, the creative kid. There is literally something for everyone on Etsy. Like I said, Ocean's birthday is just days away, and I have found her so many cute things on Etsy. I got her the cutest personalized book specifically for her third birthday, And I found this really cool personalized LED neon sign for her new big girl bedroom. And of course, I loaded up on hair accessories and jewelry. A gifting moment is always around the corner. But whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We are back with someone who is absolutely brilliant in my eyes. And again, you guys have been begging for Tina Swithin and here she is. Hi, Tina. Hi. So you just sent, you just went and looked at colleges. I'm sure that that was beyond hard. Was it?
2: It is, but I am, you know, it goes back to, I truly believe takes one healthy parent. And, and, you know, I am a success story in family court, um, because of the way I approached it because of the way I navigated it. And my kids are safe today. We've, I successfully terminated his parental rights, which is
0: almost unheard of in the family court system. Can you, how long did that take you? I mean, I, I know it was a long journey for you. Do you mind me asking, did your ex was, I know that he wasn't present, but along with him not being present, was there any, you know, drug or alcohol abuse, sex addiction? Was there any, like, what else can you tell us that, that he kind, like, what did he possess in, in this narcissistic behavior? So
2: when our custody battle started, he was actually going for full custody. He wanted to take my daughter custody. He would have rather paid a nanny to raise my kids because he knew that's, that would hurt me. So I have an autoimmune disease. He tried to use my uh, physical disabilities, uh, you know, my, my mother's mental health, which I have Mm -hmm. a clean bill. uh, You know, I have my (laughs) shit, believe me, but you know, nothing he, he wanted 100% custody of my kids. I ended up starting my custody battle with $178 to my name because he had financially devastated us. He put us in debt to such a degree that we lost our house, our businesses, our cars. My cars were being repossessed out of my driveway I was so in the dark about our finances that by the time I left or the marriage ended, I had nothing, no savings account, no college fund to pull from, from my kids, no, no retirement. I had $178. So I'm going to food pantries to feed my kids back then after living in a mini mansion and driving a mercedes to, you know, trying to figure out where my groceries are coming from. He destroyed me. Um, so I went into the court battle with no attorney. I went through the entire court battle until the last 10 years, the year 10 without an attorney, I represented myself in family court and I was up against him, his attorneys over the years, he circled through, cycled through them. and. Um, it was the most daunting thing I've ever been through because if you're mad at me, I will literally be awake tonight worrying about it. You know, I am conflict right. avoidant by nature to a fault actually. And so I was thrust into this family court system that I had never stepped foot in family court. I had no idea. I was naive believing that they just protected kids. And so It was a huge wake-up call to me that parental rights carry more weight than child safety. I started going to sit in the courtroom and observe proceedings when it wasn't my case. I started studying different cases that I would see in the courtroom to understand how attorneys filed things, what language they used, what case law they cited. I had to become an expert while working full-time and having my kids the majority of the time. You know, I had to become an expert on the court system, and um, and just sitting in court and watching how attorneys said things, studying my judge. And and you know, that's a mistake a lot of people make is that they don't research who the judge is, what the judge's biases are. You could walk into five different courtrooms with the exact same case. And you're going to leave with five different outcomes based on who you are in front of. So I became an expert in my local court system. Um, I'm here in San Luis Obispo, California. And, um, and, and just really understanding that to the court, these are just business transactions and emotions are best kept on your therapist couch and that you have to you know you're both under a microscope even if this other person is the worst person in the world the court doesn't know either of you and so how we present is critical and so you know that my journey started in 09 and officially terminated parental rights in 2019 but I will say there was a a big gap when my kids had no contact, you know, from in 2014, after our second child custody evaluation, minors counsel being appointed, all this stuff finally said no more. And so my kids, um, didn't see him again after
0: 2014 and they haven't seen him since 2014.
2: And they don't want to, they want absolutely nothing to do with him. But back to your question, cause I went off on a rant.
0: <laughs> no, I love it. This is, I'm, I'm all here for it. You talk freely. It
2: was alcohol for him.
0: And, you know, okay. I, you know, the
2: reality is narcissists are their own worst enemy. They, you know, you have to go back to baseline, what it was like before the court, the separation, any of that happened. You know, if I say my ex wasn't involved 95% of the time or 98% of the time, that's their MO. That's their baseline. That's how much the kids really matter to them. So, but when they're getting this feed from the breakup or, you know, publicity or whatever it is, they're going to, that feed keeps them fueled. And so, in in my situation, the court kept him going. But when there was a lull between court dates, like we didn't have something scheduled for six months, he would go back to his baseline behavior. You know, not right. showing up for visits. His schedule is so busy; he had to travel for yeah. work. You know, but in my case, a lot of it came down to alcoholism. You know, because he has a problem with alcohol. He was either, you know, hungover or wanting his next drink or drinking. And so whatever type of addiction it is, whether it's sex addiction, porn, work, exercise, you know, drugs, alcohol, it keeps them from functioning at 100%. So a lot of times I'll say, I didn't successfully protect my kids because he was a narcissist. The courts don't care about that at all. I protected my kids because he couldn't keep the mask on because of his addiction issues.
0: That makes total sense. And I've actually read that as well. It's they they use those moments of like keeping the mask on as as fuel, but it's something that they can't do forever because who in the world can play pretend forever? Right. Eventually they'll go back to who they really are. Yeah. And and they don't get a you know, let's let's be honest,
2: parenting. Can be tedious. It is selfless work. You know, the narcissist isn't capable of truly showing up for another human and devoting their one hundred percent to this amazing little person. You know, there it's about the Instagram photo or the you know the selfie that they can promote to everybody about what a great parent they are. But that's not what parenting is the narcissist is truly not capable of being a parent.
0: Right. And I've like I said, I've read that and I can only imagine how terrified you were when you saw that he was going for full custody. So in that time period, you you leave the house, do you get to take your children with you?
2: So we originally, in my naivety, had a nesting agreement because I mm. never wanted my kids to bounce back and forth and they were so little. I mean, when we truly like officially separated, they were 2 and 4. And yes. so I at what however old I was, 34 years old, started couch surfing. You know, we had our home base and he worked out of the area and he would come home on Friday nights. I would leave on Friday nights and go couch surf on friends' couches. And then come home Sunday morning and take over. And so, you know, that lasted for a while. And then I ended up in the women's shelter um, with my little girls. And that really started our journey of terror. I mean, I, I felt like the day I got my family court case number, I was also assigned my own personal terrorist.
0: Oh, my gosh. That just sent chills up my spine. Yeah. So usually when when you're when you're assigned a case number, you know, did they grant you any type of full temporary custody in that time frame?
2: Well, the first day we were in court, the judge basically said to us and I it it shook me. The judge said, if you two are starting your divorce this way you're in for a rude awakening. And so basically I was being lumped into the high conflict category without it being warranted. And and in that moment, I just remember sitting there like a deer in headlights, no attorney by myself, literally got ready that morning at the women's shelter and show up in court. And it just felt like, oh my God, what am I, what did I just walk into? If I'm afraid for my life, at the women's shelter. And the judge is saying, if you too are starting this off this way, and I, you know, and one of the things I've come to discover is that there are zero requirements for judges in California to have any training on domestic violence. It's a mere suggestion. So we've got people behind the bench who are deciding the fate and future of our children with no understanding of domestic violence. And that was very apparent to me that first day. I will say that they recognized that he had anger issues and that I had painted enough of a picture about his, my concerns about his alcohol use that he didn't walk out with 50-50 on that day. Great. And and so, you know, his it, it fluctuated over the years, but he would have every weekend and then it was every other weekend. And and my mentality is there's nothing final in family court. Um, I right. refuse to accept that you know, whatever these orders are, are in my child's best interest. I will keep chipping away at it. If, if this is my starting point, if it's, you know, 75, 25, or whatever the percentage where, you know, they're dividing your child, like a piece of property. I know that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I refuse to accept that as my final destination. Now, even if it's a final custody order, my opinion is I'm going to keep chipping away at it until I can put my head down on the pillow at night knowing that my daughters are safe oh, I just want to hug you through this day. I'm gonna cry too
0: I'm so sorry no
2: please do not apologize I, this is um Ugh. it takes me right back to where I was in those days and um it's literally the worst thing I've ever been through in my life and I 100% feel where you're at right now
0: you are just beyond strong, and I'm so and inspiring. The fact that you, you know, the hand you were dealt and 178 dollars in your bank account, and you fought for your children—it just goes to show that a mother will stop at nothing to make sure that their kid is where they should be, so that we can send them out into the world and be healthy, beautiful human beings. You know, that's our only goal. Oh, I'm sorry. No,
2: absolutely (laughs) no apology. You know, it is, um, uh, and, and, you know, going back to you saying that I'm strong, I'll tell you if you would have told me that 10 years ago, I didn't feel strong. I I truly was in survival mode. Um, Had I not journaled and blogged back then about my experience, it would be a complete you know, I I've shut it out. Like I go back and read things that I wrote in these moments. Yeah, in the beginning, and I'm like, oh my god. And um, I I didn't feel strong. I felt like I I have been on my floor bawling in fetal position more times than you know. And and I I remember leaving the courtroom so many times and by that point, my story had been discovered and people were following. And I remember feeling like a fraud because people were sending me messages saying, you're so strong, you know, you're a warrior. And I'm like, I just had a full blown panic attack in the bathroom of the courthouse. And then I just cried for an hour fetal position in the back of my car. I don't feel strong and I don't feel like a warrior.
0: Can you look back now and say I I was a strong bitch? Absolutely. Sorry. If I, was if you a, I was a
2: strong bitch and absolutely 100%. Oh, yeah. And I, and, and, you know, my kids, we, when we were driving back from San Francisco this weekend, and, you know, his, his name will come up every once in a while. And, and, you know, I'm always open to talking with them at their age level on, the reality of what they lived through and experienced and and my daughter shared a memory that felt really fuzzy to me at the time but it was when they were probably 3 and 5 and it was 4th of July weekend and i was so terrified putting them in the car that weekend and I just, I, I knew when he was in a good place and when he wasn't and when he was really unstable and it terrified me, but your, your hands are tied by a broken court system. That's forcing you to put your little girls in this car. And my daughter recounted the story where I said to her, um, mom's always with you. And when you see the pink fireworks tonight, 4th uh, of July, Every time you see a pink firework, know that mommy loves you and mommy's sending you a big hug. And that has been, you know, she said like every time I see even like a pink fireworks logo or something like that, like it always takes me back to that because, you know, that that's that connection that we had is unbreakable, you know, that bond that I authentically created with my kids, not because of show, not because of a camera was on, not because of any of that, you know, that is their foundation and no one can touch that. Not the court system, not a narcissist that is
0: unbreakable. That is beautiful. And that was like the sweetest story. Thank you for sharing that. I, before I let you go, can you, Tell our listeners some things to look out for when it comes to a narcissist. What should be things that they see and know that they need to run away?
2: Oh, you know, there's so many different. It's a loaded question. Yeah, <laughs> it's a loaded question. so many different types. I highly encourage people to follow Dr. Romani's work because she really um, lays That's it That's who off. I follow. Oh, good. That's the doctor I okay. follow, Tina.
0: Yeah, she's she is, great
2: the most knowledgeable psychologist on this topic. And, you know, there are so many different types. You know, she talks about the communal narcissist who is the good deed doer and, you know, maybe running around in Birkenstocks and, and, you know, feeding the homeless on Saturdays. And, And they're going to present different from a, you know, very malignant, you know, loud, boisterous, over the top person. Mm. Those are the ones that are easy to spot in bars or in restaurants or whatever, wherever it's paying attention to your intuition. I'll tell you, I I had zero attraction to my ex-husband and there was something almost repulsive about Thinking about kissing him. <laughs> and, and I kept thinking, but he's so nice and I'm being superficial and, and all that. My gut was telling me to get the fuck out. Like I oh my God, <laughs> I should have I love you. But I will say, your gut, get to a quiet place. And and one of the biggest tests, put up a boundary. If you say, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm needing just a week to myself where I'm going to just shut down and and be alone, see how they react to that. My guess is you're going to get flowers. You're going to get poetry. You're going to get whatever delivered, but no, like boundaries, a, a narcissist can't handle boundaries. And that's a good test. You know, what, whatever your boundary is, put it up and see how they react. But again, words and if words and actions are not in alignment you know, that's a lot of time where you see the mask slip and um,
0: be aware of it,
2: be aware of it. Absolutely. How they talk to other people in public, how they talk to people who they feel are beneath them, how they put. Yes. um,
0: I love that you said that all
2: of those things.
0: Wow. It has been such a pleasure, Tina, to have you on this podcast. This has to be one of my most favorite episodes that we've done so far. You are an Absolute joy to talk to, and so full of information that's so valuable in this day and age. So, we appreciate you. I am
2: honored to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Of course, and we will keep in touch. Absolutely